1: If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to SoftRep Radio, special operations military news and straight talk with the guys in the community.
3: Hey, what's going on? It is another episode of SoftRep Radio, and I am your humbled host today, Rad, and I have a very special guest with me. Jeremy Stallnecker, who is a United States Marine Corps infantry officer, has some uh, decorations we'll talk about and how he got those. But first, let's welcome Jeremy to the show. Welcome, Jeremy.
4: Thanks for Awesome to be with you, man. Looking forward to the conversation.
3: Yeah. So, you know, I get asked by guests often, like, what's the acronym for soft rep? And maybe my listener never knew. It's a special operation forces report. So, guys would be deployed. They say, hey, what's a quick soft rep from their command? And the, those guys in like the SF, Green Berets, uh, SEALs, high speed teams are given these soft rep reports And they're like, oh, well, this is what's going on in the environment. Now, you're a former Marine officer, correct?
4: Right. That's right. I try to keep that to myself sometimes. But yes, yes, yes. Now, <laughs> did you ever have to call in and say, hey, what's a soft
3: rep and what's going on and what's crazy going on out there?
4: Yeah. Our, uh, we So my time in Iraq, we were part of the initial invasion into Iraq. We were moving forward. So the forward edge of battle was where we were all of the time. And so there were those special operations guys who were out in front of us, and we were constantly getting intel from them. So reaching out, saying, hey, what's going on? What are we about to hit? Yeah, that was our life for basically the entire time I was in Iraq. How long were you in Iraq? I was there for six months. So we were there. We actually went into Kuwait in January of 2003. And then March 19th, pushed in. So that entire deployment was a six-month deployment. My time in Iraq really was four months, I guess. We had the Kuwait time, sat on the border, bounced back and forth. And then uh, March 19th, March 20th, pushed into the country and started making our way to Baghdad. So you're literally
3: the tip of the spear that we all sat at home after 9-11. And as you guys went into Iraq, it was you and your companies in the Marines. We were from Kuwait. As the blade of the edge of the tip of the spear, the blade, right? Like just coming through. So
4: phase lines, right? It was pretty crazy time, man. Uh, we were supposed to go in the morning of March 20th. So it was all a daytime attack. We're going to hit the berm. The berm's going to be breached. Everything is visual because it's going to be during the day. And then the night before, General Mattis, division commander, pushed down. Fifth Marines is moving in tonight. And so it was, we started our movement March 19th into the early morning of March 20th and uh, did a a nighttime attack, which was nuts, not because we hadn't trained it, but because – the two months leading up to that every rehearsal we had done was you'll see a marker there you'll see a placard there we're going to mark lanes on the ground because it's going to be a daytime attack and now it's the middle of the night and there's smoke in the air from burning oil lines and yeah it was a crazy time but we did it and um man, there's a lot to that story of course but from there then made our way to baghdad
3: yeah did you guys uh have night vision and uh like you know the pvs 14s like the generation three style night vision and and if you did what did that cloud what did that oil cover do to you with your optics (laughs) because like here you are probably infrared lights on humvees probably night vision supposed to be like you know seeing through the dark but tell me what are you seeing yeah
4: Yeah, so it's 2003 right i have to remind people of that because i don't feel that old but that was 20 years ago we're getting ready to have our uh, 20th anniversary next year and so we had yeah pvs 14s we had so they were you know monoculars Imagine looking at a a television screen or a computer screen and everything is like broken up. You can see the pixels on it. That's what going into the, the smoking environment looked like through your night vision goggles. So, you know, it requires ambient light. So the smoke was blocking out most of the moonlight, most of the ambient light. And then what we were picking up were kind of the particles in the air. So it was kind of this like constant back and forth between bring them down to see if I can see something, flip them back up. And it's a a night attack. So first time the more or the uh, (laughs) tracer rounds are coming our direction, right? So there's so many crazy things going on. You can't see it. It was was absolute chaos. But we worked through it, of course. But it was a crazy, crazy night trying to figure out things. I, I remember walking up to, so I was supposed to link up with different vehicles at different times. And it was literally like, OK, driver, stop. Then I jump out of the vehicle, get close to something, try to figure out if that was the guy I was supposed to link up with. But we just couldn't see it. So there was a lot of that. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I mean, you
3: can see how it could be. So that would you call that a fog of war?
4: That was absolute fog of war. I mean, it was insane. So and a lot of your listeners get this and understand this, but. I came into the Marine Corps in 1996. So not a lot going on. Trained, went to infantry officer course, went to all the training stuff that I was supposed to do. Trained with my unit, my platoon, for two years leading up to going into Iraq. But all of it's training, right? And so it's all simulated. And your entire life you're told, don't shoot at people. <laughs> you be, be careful where you go. Don't do crazy stuff, right? Your entire life you're told this. And so now we're in an environment that everything is flipped upside down. We couldn't see anything. We had dropped, we being the 1st Marine Division, DPICM, they're they're bomblets. They're dropped out of the back of a plane. And so it sets a minefield over a a large area. So we set that up, but now it's the middle of the night. So we can't even see our lanes of travel that were being marked out for us. So you know, the next morning, my my truck hit one of those, blew out our tires, blew out our engine block, should have killed all of us inside, didn't thankfully. But yeah, so this, you've got emotions going on, which is clouding even your judgment and your ability to make decisions. You have the actual, you know, fog of war, the smoke, the darkness, the confusion. Then you have this, I'm shooting at people and they're shooting back at me. It was one of those crazy, crazy moments that, first of all, you adjust to very quickly. It's amazing how the human mind works. But in those first several hours, it was just absolute chaos. And it was just keep moving forward, keep moving forward, keep moving forward.
3: And you feel that you were uh, coordinating that chaos eloquently as you were, you know, as best you could?
4: So, you know, what's crazy. Your audience knows this better than most, but we always talk about how you fall back to your level of training, right? If you train well, you fall back to that in those moments of chaos and in that fog of war. We had trained so much. We were actually 1st Battalion, 5th Marines. My battalion was supposed to deploy to Afghanistan shortly after 9-11. So we spun up really quick for that deployment. We did not end up going, but we started that training cycle literally two years before we ended up in Iraq. So we trained a lot. That's movement. That's immediate action drills. That's how we communicated with one another. So across the battalion, we had trained so much that even in that fog of war, that's exactly what we fell back to. So, you know, I don't think it was brilliance. (laughs) I just think it was so many hours of rehearsal that we, we did exactly what we had trained to do. Yeah, a lot of
3: instinctual muscle memory just took over and you're doing what you're supposed to. It's almost like uh, recently there's been some shootings uh, here in the U.S. in like some uh, soft targets like uh, the club in Colorado. And there was a combat veteran who took down the assailant. He just said, I went into a different mode. He just said, you know, all of a sudden, I'm just like, you know, this has to stop. The lane of fire started happening. And he just reacted to it, went in, took down the shooter, according to his words, with another helpful of the civilians, but immediately he started yelling casualties and like, just like casualties. You know, I can only imagine, you know, you being so spun and trained since 96, right? Because that's pre nine 11. You're not expecting like, Hey, I'm going to invade on behalf of uh, the world's freedom right now. And, uh, you're in 1996. You're like, Hey, you know, Kosovo, Bosnia is kind of kicking off in the not- late nineties, but that's really like an air power issue, you know, not the Marine per se, but when nine-eleven happened, you were full on, uh, officer right you're probably like uh so the Marine Corps has a unique rank structure you got lieutenants right and then captains but the captain's like a major in the army so what rank did you 911 what were you I'm, I'm curious about that
4: so 911 I was a first lieutenant so it's second lieutenant then first lieutenant and then right as I was getting out of the Marine Corps so I got out of the Marine Corps as we came shortly after we came back from Iraq uh, within a couple of months and I was promoted to captain so my deployment to Iraq, that training process, I was a first lieutenant. For those that are familiar with the Marine Corps and the infantry battalion, I was in weapons company. I was a senior lieutenant in the battalion, which which only means that I had, a, had the largest platoon in the battalion. I had 80 Marines. I had all the heavy machine guns, the tow missiles, the anti-armor, the, the javelin systems. All of that was within my platoon. Yeah, it was, well, the smalls, yeah, right. The javelins are the And they're still being used, but at the time, it was like, I think three had been fired ever. (laughs) And we fired like 15 the first night, right? They're $110,000 a piece. But yeah, so they're optic guided. You can fire and forget. They're pretty awesome. But I had all of those in my platoon and trained with those guys for two years. So I basically had a company size element. We navigated for the battalion. So a battalion of Marines is about 1,200 Marines. That column stretches out quite a ways, as you can imagine. But my platoon provided security both front and rear, and I navigated for uh, for the battalion. So, yeah, there was a lot going on. And again, as a first lieutenant, it was only people in the infantry world understand this. But it was like a dream come true, right? <laughs> like it was, we had trained for the big, the big game, and here we are, and we're all getting to play. So it was, uh, it was crazy, as you mentioned. But that was exactly what we had pointed our lives toward, and it was, it was pretty, sure. pretty amazing, pretty amazing. That's incredible to dedicate yourself.
3: Thank you, first of all, you know, to, you know, fighting for our nation's flag. I totally appreciate that. Now, when you get out of the military, <laughs> you know, you're like, hey, it's time to hang those gloves up. You put on another set of gloves. What are you battling now? What are you trying to help? You know, now that you've gotten out, how did you transition? What are you transitioning into? What have you become? What's your new butterfly af- after your cocoon?
4: <laughs> so my my process at, after the Marine Corps was an interesting one. I ended up in ministry of all things. I left the infantry community and literally signed my DD-214. A month later, I was working on a church staff. And I, I always say that, particularly for church people, it's like, oh, that's a great place to land. It was horrible. I was complete disaster. I I was a wreck at home. I was like, weekly would get threatened with being fired at my job at the church I was just so angry and so frustrated. It was 2003, so no one was talking about combat trauma or post traumatic stress, or no one was having those conversations, right? So I was a disaster and got to the point where literally my wife, she should have left me. She didn't. Uh, thankfully, in fact, 25 years married. This next year, uh, she well, and she she was amazing, and I I make that point because. We had two small kids we had been married for a few years and she just stuck it out she loved me through it and uh had she not i I wouldn't have gotten through it in any meaningful way took a long time but part of that process for me and I i tell that part of the story part of that process for me of healing and moving forward was saying i'm thankful for what i did in the marine corps but i can't go back there anymore i can't think about it i can't talk about it that was then this is something brand new." and literally for 10 years, that's what I did. I worked at a church. I ended up pastoring a church. A lot of things had to happen and a lot of growth and a lot of people speaking into my life, but 10 years went by, and at the end of that, or 10 years later, one of the Marines that I had served reached out to me and said, hey, hey, sir, and it's like through Facebook, right? I didn't even know how Social messaging worked. I didn't didn't like understand anything. But I get this message from this guy I served with, Jeremy Mahon. He's awesome. And we've become very good friends since then. But he's like, hey, sir, um, this program is starting. I met this guy. He's starting this organization called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. I don't know what it's about, but he asked me to get some guys from our platoon to come and do one of these sessions. He's trying to get it off the ground. And uh, veterans are like the most cynical, like hateful people in the world, right? So he's like, he wants to help veterans, but no one will come. So we're going to get some guys together and come. Would you do that? So I hadn't talked to these guys in 10 years. I had put my Marine Corps time behind me. I was proud that we went to Iraq and I brought these guys home. And that was it. So now I'm sitting in a circle in Colorado around a fire with these guys that I had served with. And so I've got this picture hanging over my my desk. It's a picture of my platoon in Baghdad in the rubble of a building at the presidential palace, the Al-Azamaya Palace on the north side of the river. And so I've looked at that picture thousands of times. I've always been proud of the fact that those guys came home. And then I'm sitting in this circle and I start to hear stories about some of those guys in that picture. I hear stories about Marines that I served with that came home and took their lives and marriages destroyed and families that aren't functioning in any meaningful way. I had a Marine that was sitting next to me, one of the guys that I had served with. He, he had just come into my platoon before we went to Iraq. He, he made the statement. So this is 10 years later, right? He said, basically for 10 years, I've hated you. And he said, you promised that you'd be with us. And then you left. We went back to Fallujah. You weren't there. And there was no one to take care of us and he started to express this, again, we we communicate now, we're friends, but it was this process of like unpacking this. And what I realized, kind of the epiphany moment for me in that conversation and in that week that we spent together was my time of serving those who I served with didn't end when I put the uniform in the closet for the last time. I still have an obligation to serve these guys and to help them and to encourage them and to give them the tools they need to move forward. And- that was a huge turning point for me. And uh, again, the Mighty Oaks Foundation was getting started. Uh, Chad Roboshow, he and his family, he's a special operations guy. He and his family were getting it started. We met. He's like, hey, man, I'm trying to get this thing off the ground. Can you help me? And we started moving. That was 2012.
3: That's very cool. And so the context there is, your guys needed you. They're like, we had to keep going. You got out. They're like, and you lived and you got, you did your job. 96 to 2003. That's a, you did it. Okay. But they're like, you know, we had to go back and where were you and your leadership. And and now you've seen him after 10 years. And he's probably saying, you know, maybe you're saying we need you too. Like, I need you too. Like this whole click was missing. I mean, you went on your way and did your life and you've grown in these 10 years and I'm just, you know, outside perspective here. It just, they come together because I, I interviewed a gentleman that received the medal of honor and um, the same type of vibe, right? He was like, look, it should be all of them that got this, right? We should all, you know, and now they're all friends together and, and they're moving forward and they understand he got the the award, the, you know, the medal, but, and they want him to be that conduit for it. So they're okay with that, right? So here you are being this conduit of, hey, you know, I went and found some self-help for myself. Maybe it wasn't so much in the core, but it was outside the core. And now that you're out, I can help you with that, right? Because here you are. You know, I just find you to be a very well-spoken, kind, demeanor-style, you know, (laughs) cool microphone yeah, you know. <laughs> well
4: I appreciate listener, all of that, particularly the cool microphone part. <laughs> he's got a cool
3: microphone on desk like David Letterman. If you're listening and you don't happen to see the video, he's got like a David Letterman microphone. I'm using this you know, the the thirteen dollar headset that's that works, <laughs> but I need a David Letterman microphone, bro.
4: <laughs> yeah, they're not that much more than thirteen dollars. They just look nice. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh so your your ministries, what state are you based out of with your uh ministries?
4: Yeah, so the organization is called the Mighty Oaks Foundation, and we are a what we call a faith-based nonprofit. We work with veterans, active duty service members, and now first responders, as well as uh, families. We're based out of Texas, but we run our programs across the country. I actually live in Southern California. Our programs take place. We have a week-long program. It takes place in California, Texas, Ohio, and Virginia. We've got five locations that we use. And we bring men or women, they're separate programs, a men's program and a women's program to one of those facilities. We cover the cost of the program and we also cover the cost of travel to get there. So literally all we're asking for is five days of your time, come and spend time with other men and women who have experienced what you've experienced. But as you mentioned, discovered some tools to move forward and we want to just, just help do that, right? <laughs> like it's it's a continuing brotherhood. It's not teaching down It's going, hey, man, I know where you are because I've been there and I want to help you move forward just like I've moved forward. And so uh, it's been it's been great.
3: Right. And, uh, you know, in the training world, whether you're in corporate management or you're in uh, the Marine Corps management, you know, having a toolbox with added tools from other leadership is what and other people can help you out, you know, and just because you're a private doesn't mean that you're not a leader. okay? because you could still have 100 percent of that Audie Murphy in you. All right. I get it. <laughs> and so, you know, bring it to the table, right? And then there's proper ways, there's chains of commands that you can bring that stuff to the table. You got to, you got to try to get uh, in somebody else's head to see how they succeed. And then maybe pull a piece of that into your life. It doesn't have to be the whole gamut. You don't have to do, I don't have to do every single thing Jeremy's done to become the best me. I just maybe, Hey, you know, maybe I should take a moment and have some self-reflection every morning. Maybe I should have you know, some type of, you know, maybe I should drink water at 8 a.m. every day and just cool my insides down with water, that type of thing. And we do have a lot of veterans out there, uh, Jeremy, that are listeners and even those that haven't served in combat or in the ve- in the world of the military that are listening, that are having trials and tribulations in life. You know, PTSD, <laughs> car accidents, you know, AT4s going off your head, whatever the case may be, you know, hard l- labor and delivery for a family, you know, somebody in a birthing situation. How do they cope with it. And so, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of different, like, you know, uh, opportunities through a lot of guests and, you know, yours seems like just a real up in here, like in your head, you know, let's sit down and uh, find our inner selves and try to move forward, right?
4: Yeah, that's it. And you know, we talk about resiliency a lot. What is it to be resilient? To be resilient means that you have pre-decided, you've made a decision before the craziness of life happens because we're all going to deal with traumas and trials and obstacles (laughs) you decide before that happens how you're going to respond when it does. And so you're resilient because when you get knocked down, which we all will, you have something to bounce back to. And so for us, it's it's working through that with people that have been knocked down and don't know what they're trying to get back to. Let's set that. Let's establish what that true north is so that you can uh, align your life. You can you know put your life on that true north, on that, ni- uh, that north, that azimuth, and continue moving forward. And, you know, for us, that begins with a a faith relationship, a relationship with God, understanding who you were created to be, and then moving forward into that. And, again, it's very much—people hear that, and they think it's like a Sunday school thing or a church thing. It's not. It's it's guys and girls, men and women going— Look, I was broken, I had fallen. Here are some things I've learned and and I want to help you do the same. It's reconnecting to the brotherhood, it's reconnecting to those relationships and moving forward together. So, yeah, it very much is it starts in your brain, hopefully it makes its way to your heart and then it impacts every relationship and every decision outside of that. Uh 100%,
3: you know, and I was raised religious my whole life, you know, in the in the LDS the Mormon faith here and you know um I, don't, I guess what i'm going with is you know as i've gotten older i've just like had questions in my own life and just like grown you know kind of into my own if you will religion all right where it's like mm-hmm. hey i appreciate do good to others i appreciate the golden rule i appreciate family first i appreciate help thy neighbor i appreciate all those things right so i can just incorporate those things in my life on, on the daily, like, be good, open the door, help, give a glass of water to someone needing a glass of water, sure, you know? But sure. I, I think what I what I found is my own self, my own self's faith. And, mm. you know, whether it's a huge denomination out there, or you're in some huge, you know, or you're in a small little sect, uh, you know, religion that, ha- or a faith, you know, based, I think as long as you're finding it within yourself, that's probably the best way to mm. find it, you know? It's like, what am I trying to say? It's just in you. It's all in us. Right. It's just, you know, that greater God, quote unquote, is something that when we close our eyes, we can uh, try to achieve to find. I feel like, you know, and whether that's meditation or prayer, uh, you know.
4: Yeah. And it's, you know, a big part of that is understanding that the hope isn't found within you necessarily. Right. Because we all get like. In our brains, I realize how inadequate I am, where I fall short, how selfish I am, all of these things I try to hide from other people. So it's understanding that the hope comes from outside of me. And when, you know, from my perspective, when I say, you know, God is, God created, if God created, he has a purpose and a plan for my life, then that's less about me and more about him. And I just need to move into that. And so it takes the responsibility off of me to be God. And it puts within me then the responsibility to pursue who I was created to be. And when we understand we have purpose, we have direction, there are things that we alone can do and no one else can, and we start to move into that, it changes every conversation in our lives. Because no longer am I trying to like generate something that doesn't exist. I'm simply trying to be what I was created to be. And that, again, changes everything, changes everything.
3: Right, being the best you is the best thing to be because uh, right, I've said it before, when you're on a plane and they're instructing you before your flight to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Right, and, <laughs> okay? right. right. And then also the next person next to you, it's like, fix you first, yeah. focus on you, breathe, yep. okay? Even yep. if it's not flowing, you're still focusing on you <laughs> or even if you don't see yep. the bag inflating, right? That's that same thought process is you focus on yourself, be a positive, better self, And then that'll even ooze off of you onto somebody else without even realizing it. You're just like, hey, what's up? That's right. Yeah.
4: Yeah, and and understanding like I'm putting the oxygen mask on myself so that then I'm in a better place to help the person next to me, right? And I think in the veteran community, that's where we sometimes fall short. It's like, I'm doing this for me, stay away from me. No, you're doing this Mm -hmm. for you so you can then help the people who are coming up behind you,
3: yeah. That's exactly right because they may uh, not be able to do it. (laughs) right that's right that's exactly right yeah and uh 100 agree on that it's it's not so much being selfish it's just that you have to be a little to yourself to help the others so that i mean if you're down and out who's someone needs to help you and that person has their oxygen mask on straight
4: (laughs) okay right that's exactly right yeah that's right
3: exactly right it is it is the other night i'm just being vulnerable i was just laying in bed and i was just thinking to myself and i was just going through my head and then the next day i woke up and Talked to my wife and said, you know, I was going through my head. She's like, stop it. She's like, stop it. <laughs> she's like, stay out of there. Okay. Whatever you want to yeah. whatever you're thinking, whatever your head's yeah. spinning, whatever, you know, thing that was negative that you were tripping on. She's like, stop it. And I was like, yeah. I needed that. That was my oxygen yeah. mask moment from her because I was just That's good. Hey man, 45 years old, running a family, running a business, scheduling podcasts, yeah. so much going on in my head. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I'm only no,
4: here. So, that's good. Yeah, we've got to have people speaking in. And and that's a big part of it, right? It's like, hey, look, man, get out of your head. Like, let's see things the way they actually are, not the way they are in your brain. And uh, my brain helpful.
3: was tripping. <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, right. but once she said that to me and she grounded me, and I was like, Yeah, you're right. You know, I was like, hey, thanks, babe. I appreciate you saying, Hey, get out of your head. Yeah. You know, and and, yeah. and honestly, I talked to you prior. I was having a I had a vasectomy. Okay. So I went and got my nads snipped. To do the right thing for myself (laughs) i've already got three children and you know uh a lineage created so i feel confident and um i was just tripping out about it you know i was like boy what am i doing am i Mm. cutting myself down am i you know Mm. are these the right moves and so it was a lot of this it just started going crazy you know um and the doctor didn't help when i went and investigated in the in june i went to get my appointment all right and he's like why are you here to break yourself and so i've just been thinking about that the whole (laughs) time like, until yeah. just the other day when I got it done, I was like, why would he say that? Why would he say, why are you breaking yourself when I feel that yeah. it's it's a choice I'm making, right? It's a freedom yeah. of choice to do yeah. this. Right. So, that that going up to the procedure, I thought he was the doctor. And so, this whole time in my head, I'm like, I got to deal with this guy. He's going to be cutting my nads open. Oh, yeah. I got to deal with this guy. I can't stand him. <laughs> he's already, like, insulted my intelligence and demeaned me with coming into this procedure, you know. And then, all of a sudden, I find out he's a PA. <laughs> And the doctor's a lady. Yeah, And yeah. I'm in the room right. just like, what is this? It's been like a day ago. And I was like, you're not the dude? She's like, no, he's just a physician's assistant. I said, of course he is. It's like, of course. <laughs> <he>
1: <laughs> <is.">
3: <laughs> and there's a reason for that. <laughs> and there's a reason for that, bro. You're on my podcast. I'm talking. I'm not naming your name, but you know, if, I'm telling you right now, bro. You should have said that. You should have uh, said, are yeah. you here for your procedure, Mr. Radle? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one of wants course. to be told to be broken. <laughs> So anyways, uh, as I sit on a bag of peas right now, talking to you, my friend, uh, becoming (laughs) friends with you on all sorts of Motrin, literally Motrin, right? They don't get away from it. Oh, take some Motrin.
4: Yeah. Just take some more (laughs) Motrin. Take some more. Just take some more. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah.
3: They gave me, they gave me a Valium like for the first day to come in. Right. She's like, did you bring your, did you bring your pill with you? And I was like, yeah, it's right here. Sealed. I've never had one. And she's like, okay, let's watch you take it. So I took this Valium and. I looked at my wife, and I tossed the pill back and forth in the bottle like three times before I took it, looking at this thing like, what am I about to do? <laughs> so I took it, drank the water in front of them, and then she's like, do you want me to take the bottle? And I was like, well, is there any refills on this? She's like, no. And she took the bottle <laughs> away from me immediately. I was like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Yeah. Then uh, yeah. and then she gave a me a bunch it. of
4: Motrin and said, just take these. <laughs>
3: Bro. <laughs> I mean, all I felt was some tugging and pulling and some conversation in the surgery. You know, and then it was done. It was pretty That's much fun. about an hour's process from the from the wow. time I popped the pill to getting my uh, my snipped situation. Yeah, which is what it, this was not the storyboard of our conversation. I swear.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're doing some therapy right now, and uh, yes. it's okay. It's okay, hey, man. Unload <laughs> whatever you got to do. We'll work so through it. I will it. be unloading. You pr- <laughs> I promise you that. But uh, uh, what? one of these. T- <laughs> So any of my listeners well, I'm not going to help
3: you with through. that but we'll work through the psychological oh, part. you know if, if you've been through it, I'm going through <laughs> it with you. If, you. if you've succeeded, I'm gonna be right there in about three months so we'll see what happens and uh, and that's just that's what's up. I was in my head about that yeah. whole process right the, yeah and now I've yeah. done it I was like I sh- didn't even need to be in my head. it was it was simple I was putting more into it and uh, I think that's where I'm bringing that back full circle is you know getting in your head and finding that outside yeah. voice of reason. That might be sure. there, you know, the lighthouse on the yep. rocky shore. I hate to be so, I don't know if those are, you know, limericks or whatever, but it is what it is. You know, I listened to this song called Lighthouse by a band called The Used. And it really just mm-hmm. is a very good, upbeat song about lighthouses and rocky shores ahead and their songs and stuff and really just pumps me up. And so um, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy talking to you. I just feel like you're a bit of a lighthouse just to let you know that.
4: Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And really that's what it is, right? It comes down to each one of us serving that function to use that analogy for other people is showing other people the way. And if we can get that perspective where my job is to help other people find their way to safety, then I'm not in my head all the time. I'm not dealing with so much anxiety about me because my focus is on them. And when we focus on other people, Uh, Again, it changes, it changes our perspectives on the other stuff that we're doing. Man, if we can be that lighthouse, be that guide, be that encouragement, be the voice of reason, whatever you want to say, if we can be that for other people, then we're going to be better off ourselves. It's it's crazy how it works, but helping other people helps us and it continues to uh, generate that energy. It's infectious. Exactly what you're saying.
3: You know, Uh, you know, you want to do a good turn daily, right? It's kind of a Boy Scout motto. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, you know. Uh, have you done any good in the world today? You know, if you think about that, like, what have you done today to help a neighbor or someone in need? Or have you cheered up the sad and made someone feel glad? I'm going to start singing a song. Mm. But at the end <laughs> of the day, <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? And so I do live by that. I do love to have a smile all the time. And, you know, it's crazy. I'm standing outside of my shop here in, in, in Layton, outside Hill Air Force Base, with a sign, oh, yeah. I'm like, you know, the pizza guy, except uh, it's for airsoft. And so I'm out there and <laughs> and I, I always do it around two two thirty because that's when all the kids in the school buses are getting out of school to go right by me every oh, single yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. So I'm out there like, Hey, yo, war games, airsoft. So <laughs> I was like, I got to show them that we do this in the winter. So we just had a huge storm. So here it is two o'clock. I'm in the middle of Hill Air Force Base, late in Utah. It's super windy. It's super snowy. And I'm like, I'm going out. So I take my sign out to the blizzard and I'm on the street sign. And here comes the school buses. And every one of them are honking. And they're all like, yes. And I'm just like, core memory, come in here. Yeah. We do this in the snow. Yeah. You know, Snowbeard is happening, <laughs> you know, to, to prove a point. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be out there, bro. I'm going to be marketing myself. Uh, yeah, the passion yeah. I have. So if, if you're out there and That's you're passionate, cool. And you can focus your, yep. your, your energy on these passions. You're probably going to be pretty successful at that. You know, yeah, you seem pretty right. passionate.
4: Yeah, no, it I mean, what else do we have, right? If we're not passionate about helping other people, then what else do we have? I think that that has to be it. So, yeah,
3: it does. And I'm not really like, you know, you have to be this faith or that faith. I think that's what I was trying to get at earlier. Like, you know, raised sure, one sure. way, yeah. but grown into sure. a, a new butterfly, cocooned and butterflied out. Mm. And so I think that some people can go into the military with no religion or no faith and then find something there because you're just really backing your head again, right? It's like, there's gotta be somebody greater than you who's put you there to make these decisions. What divine intervention got involved in my life to put me in the military? Why did <clears throat> I choose to join yep. and yep. get yelled at by these people, you know, to do yeah. this job?
4: Yeah. That whole cliche, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? I mean, I've met plenty of atheists in the military, but but I, I think principally, it's you, you think you've got it all under control. You've got it all figured out. And then you're hunkered down behind a wall or behind some sandbags. And there's an enemy out there that you've never met. You don't know why they hate you, but they're trying to kill you. <laughs> and you have to go like, shoot, man, there's got to be something else out here. Like, okay, there's got to be something bigger than this. And th- those moments, I, we got in a big firefight at a, at a on a bridge. It's a crazy story. And uh, we came through the other side of that. And I remember as a 25, 26-year-old guy going, wow, like there's some things I can control and there's an awful lot I can't control. And I just need to let go of the stuff I can't control, focus on what I can. And yeah, I I don't know how you come out of that environment and not conclude that there has to be something more to, you know, to life. And it it sets things in order. Otherwise, um, I can see how you get depressed. (laughs) And, yeah, uh, really. It's yeah, like you, you got to look outside of just,
3: that. Exactly. And and did somebody, you know, being at the level of an officer, did you have anybody like uh, you confided in like any battle buddies that were like, "Hey, thanks for pulling me out of that 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 firefight on the bridge?" Thought process that I had. I mean, like, you know, was it was there dark times for you and then you
4: found this uh ministry? Yeah. So, I was I was a Christian before I went into the Marine Corps and I I was raised in a, a Christian home and so I, I had you know an understanding of faith and of of God and and that, but I don't know that I made it real. And this is what I think the Marine Corps did for me, and what certainly combat did for me was it, it took it from this you know I, I believe this is important. I'm going to participate in this faith thing to like this is this is real for me. Going back a little bit to what you said is I think we have to settle on what do I believe about this, what do I think about this, and. In those environments that are so chaotic and so out of control. And I mean, let's be honest, there are some really bad people in the world, but a lot of the guys on the other side that are firing back at us, they're not bad people. (laughs) They're just people who ended up on the other side of a conflict. Defending their side. Particularly in defending their side. And I mean, particularly the early days of the war in Iraq. The reason we had thousands of Iraqi soldiers surrendering is because they didn't know why they were there either, right? So like, why is this fight happening? You, you like, why? S- why? Yeah. And we convince ourselves it's like good against evil and all of that. And in a large sense, it is that. But when it comes down to two people on the battlefield, so often it's it's two people trying to defend their ideals and and what they believe is right. But it's not a good versus evil thing on the soldier to soldier, military guy to right. military right. guy perspective on the global scale. I I get all of that, but it's like, we're just trying to do our best. Right. And when you go through that, you realize like, this is different than what I thought it was. And I've got to ask the question, what's, what's out there? What's bigger? What's motivating this, you know, what's outside of me. And, and that's what that did for me for sure. Now, do you find that,
3: you know, being in the ministry, you know, being, being a minister that uh, you just get asked to do weddings all the time, is, and you're like, "Hey, okay, I could do that." <laughs> it's like, You know, but there's a little more to it, right? I mean, really, how many have you been doing the marriages?
4: Yeah, I've done a lot of weddings and I've done a lot of funerals. Um, yeah, right. but you know, I'm not pastoring anymore, so I am running our ministry full time, and and so it's a different type of ministry now, right? And one of the things I like about what we do is it's very focused on you know real life today kind of issues. And I feel like I can have a direct impact, you know, on the phone today, a conversation with someone that I care about, or someone that reaches out to me. And through our programs, it's bringing very hurt, very broken people and over the course of a week, giving them hope and giving them direction. And so I I don't mind doing the other things. But uh, I love that part of what we get to do. You know, a, a question that just is
3: in my head, here we go again is, you know, if you're Christian, and uh, if i was raised christian and and then let's say yeah. the leader of the free world is christian hmm. and the leader of like say russia is christian why does my christian god allow them to go to war when i talk to him to tell him not to go to war you know like yeah. when i'm telling him hey can you please stop going to war but like they're being divinely told to go to war or to do these you know things like what truly. What do, you, what do you think about
4: that thought? Yeah. Well, I think that's a really big thought. <laughs> um, I, I'll say a couple things. Yeah, I'll yeah. say a couple things. One, <laughs> one person defines as a Christian or Christianity and what another person defines are not necessarily the same. So that's the first thing, right? We start from a premise that we all believe the same thing and believe in God the same way. And that's, first of all, just not true. So, what i mean when i say i'm a christian and what someone else means when they say they're a christian you know those may not be the same thing so that's that's the first thing and then when someone says god told me or god revealed to me i have no way of knowing what that even means i don't know if that's you know a drug-induced vision <laughs> if that's a feeling they have that they want to blame on god i don't know what that is and so for me as a christian i do my best to go back to what does the bible say and if these visions, these directions, these word of God things don't connect to what the Bible says, they don't reflect who God is in the Bible, then I have to dismiss it as that's not who God is, and that's not what God would have us to do. Now, certainly, I also believe in free will. So God allowing things to happen that are outside of his perfect will, and this gets into a much deeper issue, right? When we talk about Sin and acceptance and the love of God and our love for God. Why does God allow things to happen? I mean, I can't always answer that question. But bad things happen because bad people do bad things. The question is, why does God allow it? I don't always know the answer to that question. But just because someone says God told them, I, I don't put much stock in that either. So
3: Right, and it does um, it does like, happen, it, though, right? We, we do hear that. Oh, thing, absolutely, you yeah.
4: Know. yeah. Yeah, well, it's crazy. I mean, on both sides of this, right, there's always a religious right. argument. There's always a religious argument. Right. So, look, I don't know. I don't know what your God told you or what right. the right. voice in your head told you. I, I don't have any idea, but I believe that God is and that God prefers desires for mankind to love each other, to care for one another, I believe there's a right way and a wrong way, but I can't speak for what you know someone else is doing or the decision someone else is making. I know some horrible atrocities have been done over the course of human history in the name of God that God would absolutely condemn.
3: right like exactly and that's where i'm bringing it up is because like the guy being killed prays to the same god as yeah. the guy that's killing him okay and yeah. so it's like that's 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 what i'm trying to get to it's like well
4: yeah
3: you know how do we just i guess be ready to do that if we have to like the tip of the spear always has to be sharp you know but we should just know that they're in the armory ready to be used and so there are people ready to use yeah. these spears and these these things to defend their civilizations but I think that when people jump on the bandwagon, that their leader of their civilization told them X, Y, Z, God told yeah. them to do it.
4: Yeah. And I, I'm thankful to live in a country like I'm thankful that in the United States, conscription is not a normal part of our process. So I'm not forced into the military. No one else is forced into the military. I know we've had those times, but, but right now that's not the case. And so each person has to before God, decide, is this something that I want to be involved in? And then based on the policies of people that are largely godless, (laughs) uh, we have to look at that and go, is that a policy that I can support? And, you know, even looking back into what happened in Iraq, I mean, so many years ago, I have a very different view of that now than I did in 2002 and 2003. And we have the free will as Americans to decide if I'm going to support that if I'm going to be a part of that or not. And so to put stock in a leader who says, God told me is, man, that's a foolish pursuit. You have to, you have to ask what God wants you to do and then pursue that.
3: Right. Like, does God want me to follow the guy that is following God's decisions uh, on that side? Yeah, It's like, you got to have those. Because I can't know
4: if he is, I can't even know who he's following. Right. I can't, I can't, I can't know that. And so I need to be honest before God and myself.
3: Right. And, uh, you know, growing up as the son of a Green Beret in my life, Mm. my dad was that faith leader and my mother also very faithful with the church and just instilled that, you know, core of faith. But I also know it's a part of his job as a Green Beret. It's one of the five requirements is a faith. Right. You have to have Mm. some kind of a faith. And so it's kind of an underlying. I'm not saying it's a hazing ritual. It's just a part of the SF culture is right. You have to have a faith sure and so um you know if you go in without one you're gonna have to find one that's yeah. it and uh somehow it's either you being in your most zen state or you're wearing a jedi mm. dog tag that says um a third year sith <laughs> right. jedi you have to have a faith <laughs> right yeah because yeah. those are that exists you know there's so many denominations now in the military it's no longer yeah catholic protestant it's like jedi Wiccan, you know pagan yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't I think there might
4: be a Star Trek. I'm just saying. <laughs> the question of faith is is a is an interesting question, right? And it, I'll say this for who are, people who are listening, who are exploring. I'll say this. Your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. So, if your faith is in yourself, it's going to fall short. If your faith is in the force, it's going to fall short. If your faith is in whatever, your faith is only as good. Faith in itself is is not helpful. Your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. If the object of your faith is not bigger than your world and bigger than what you're going through and bigger than what you're dealing with and outside of your space and time, then it's hope. It's it's not faith. Faith is a confidence in the person, the object of my faith. And so when we talk about faith, again, we, we live in a, you know, a wonderful country where people can do whatever they want to do. And I'm thankful for that. But that comes over into faith where we go like, oh, you can believe in anything you want. You can, absolutely. You can have faith in anything that you want to. But at the end of the day, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, where it really matters, your faith is only as good as the object of that faith. And so um, for sincere seekers, for sincere people who really want to understand faith, you have to at least start there. My faith is only as good as what I'm putting it in. Otherwise, you know, it's hope, it's words, it's sometimes silly. <laughs> and I don't dismiss right. just, what
3: people believe. It's a bumper sticker. But what's the it's, value? Uh, in it's it? it's yeah. something it's on the back of It's a bumper your sticker, car. that's good. Yeah, exactly, yep. right? And so you could either, yeah. I, I agree with you on that, right? And so I do have my own self, you know, circle, my own perimeter, if you will, my world that I put my faith into so that I have, you know, structure. Mm. And a lot of that's family and, uh, the faith that they have in what they believe in. And so yeah, my sure. father in law and my mother in law and, uh, my, mm. m- all my family, they have faith in things and they're happy go lucky individuals, whatever their faith is. I like that, right? It's a good melting yeah. pot of people to be around. And I think yeah. if you can find yourself around these people who are trying to do good and trying to be good, uh, you know, moving, not trying are good. Okay. Cause trying is just another hope. Mm.
4: <laughs> Yeah right. I'm sure, sure. Okay. I'm gonna
3: try. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to <laughs> yeah. be there at five in the morning for you, sir. Yeah right. That's right. Yeah, that's no, not how you want to hear it. You're not even no. gonna try. <laughs> you're not even gonna try. So I think the do right, and so I like surrounding myself with that that positive energy and uh, positive people, whether they're hardcore into their faith or or they have just been a happy go lucky individual walking down the street. Uh, uh, I think everybody has love inside of them that can be shared. And uh, I hate to sound like this is just some kind of like hippie nonsense or like, you know, I'm stuck in a redwood forest <laughs> tree somewhere with an AK.
4: But if I could live there, I would. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right.
3: Yeah. You know, I mean, just... what
4: we believe is the thing that, that drives us forward. I, you know, and that's one of the interesting things about coming from a military community, right, is we can find so much purpose and meaning and value in the uniform, in the job, in the taskers that come up, right? We've got the warning order. So we're always looking towards something else. And we're always focused on that. Well, you take all of that away. And this is why a lot of people struggle in the veteran community, because it's like, well, what do I believe in now? You know, I, I remember leaving the Marine Corps and then watching things just roll on without me, <laughs> which is silly. I mean, it, it's like really stupid, right? To go, yeah, so so I came back. The war's is over. Uh, mission accomplished. That's what President Bush said, right? And then people started shooting again in Baghdad, and the war was on, and it went on for a long time. I remember sitting in a church staff meeting. So I was on a church staff in a meeting, and I had just heard about some of the Marines that I served with being killed in Fallujah, and I was like broken that I wasn't with them. And I expressed that to some of the other guys on the staff, and they're like, yeah, that's terrible. Anyhow, and then they just moved on with whatever the you know the conversation of the day was. Like the thought that that could go on and I didn't have to be a part of it was so, it was like soul crushing for me. It was like so dark, like, well, then what's the point? <laughs> and so finding what you believe and why you believe it and where your faith is and who you are outside of the military is absolutely essential for continuing to move forward. And I, I think a lot of people just don't ever do that. And so they're constantly struggling to to get it back, Right. And you don't get it back. You need to continue to move forward. That's discovering who you are right now.
3: That's right, and it's not in the bottle of uh, of whiskey. No, guys, no, no. There, guys and gals, that's yeah. not where you find yourself. You don't no. find yourself in a bottle of pills or whiskey. At the end of the day, thinking like I can't find myself. I'm trying to find myself. Yeah. right. Yeah, no. Just reach out to me or reach out to Jeremy because we'll have his information right. on the website if you do want to reach out to him for you know a, a, a nice conversation. I'm sure Jeremy's open yeah. to you know. <laughs> lend an ear Absolutely. i have i i tell my wife i yeah. said hey you know i i tell people hit me up and she's like oh you mean like like they do <laughs> i'm like,
4: I about
3: I like you know i have talked down some people on the fence out of the blue at two in the morning yeah it's real so if you're on the fence and you yeah. want to come down off that fence yeah. and you need someone to on hit me up i'll on you off that fence. Yeah. okay come on down nice and safe yeah, that's good you can come down upside down it's cool. that's good I
4: you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you we'll get you to the ground we'll get you yeah, that's yeah good.
3: exactly Now, Jeremy, I know I've had you for an hour. It doesn't even seem like that so far. And uh, you're really super cool, chill dude to talk to. And, And I appreciate that you have that Marine Corps attitude and this lighthouse attitude, you know, and... Still, look, still looks like you could do some pull-ups, so you still look like you're doing okay. And
4: uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I work hard at it. People are always like, oh, you stayed in good shape. Like, yeah, I work really hard at it. That's why. But anyhow. I, I think props about
3: the Marines is that people don't give enough of is that the officers go through like the same kind of boot camp that the enlisted go through, for, yeah. you know, where yeah. you understand the personnel that you're uh, commanding because you've been through what that personnel has been through sure. in a, in a boot, boot camp style setting. Infantry, basic riflemen you yeah. know, being able right. to do that yep. task, right? That's the basic task of a Marine. And so the yeah. fact that yep. you sure. as an officer have that, I'm sure your men loved you and uh, I'm sure that they hated you. And I'm sure at the end of the day, you know,
4: <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both. I hope, I hope you there know was how it goes. There.
3: Yeah. It's yeah. not personal, it's business, but then it's personal, but then it's business. Yeah. So
4: yeah, yeah with yeah.
3: that said, yeah. tell me, I'll give you a, like a minute to Say anything about your um, ministries, if you have a website or any, anything yeah. that, a book or anything yeah. like that. Go ahead.
4: So I'll talk about the ministry first, Mighty Oaks Foundation. Uh, it's If you're not a Christian, if you're not a person of faith, we'd still love for you to come and attend the program. It's five days. It's free to you. We cover the cost of travel. It'll get you around other people who are trying to work through some of the things you are. So please go to MightyOaksPrograms.org. You can find uh, everything about us as well as a place to apply, and we can take care of all the logistics and everything else. I've written a couple of books. One's called March or Die. I wrote a book on leadership. We have a book on post-traumatic stress, which is called The Truth About PTSD. Another book on resiliency. The best place to find all of that, honestly, is on my personal website. It's just my name, Jeremy JeremyStalnecker.com, jeremystalnecker.com. You can find podcasts that I'm involved with, books that I've written, a blog is there, all my socials, links to Mighty Oaks Foundation. So if you go to my website, jeremystalnecker.com, you can find everything that I'm connected to. It's the easiest way. And that's
3: J-E-R-E-M-Y-S-T-A-L-N-E-C-K-E-R. All right. So that's it. rewind this and then play it again and go look <laughs> him up. <laughs>
4: there you
3: go. JeremySolinger.com. That's it. Yep. That, that's what's up. And Jeremy, I just want to say it's been a pleasure to have you on here. Love the Marine Corps, the one of the fifth. I went over to London with a guy and we did a boxing match for soft rep and we were boxing SAS guys oh, yeah. and he's from the one fifth. I'm trying to think. I can't remember. His oh, name. Okay. It's escaping me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I had some 2-4 guys. 2-4, no more yeah. war. I'm supposed to say that. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come at That's me. Awesome. Comment down below what you want to say. <laughs> so, so again, with that said, on behalf of everybody at SoftRep, uh, it's the holiday times. Please go out and have a, a nice, beautiful time with someone and, and enjoy yourselves. And I really appreciate having you on the show, Jeremy. Thank you for being a part of it.
4: Uh, thank you, Rad, man. It's awesome what you're doing and uh, appreciate just the opportunity to talk. So many important issues. So thanks for bringing them up and, and broadcasting them out. Yeah, we'll probably have you on again. You know, you're, you're chill. It's uh, it's a Let's very it. good Let's spoken conversation
3: and there's other things we can hit on. So thanks again. And from me, this is Rad saying peace.
2: You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio.